Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila. You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Today, we have with us Jack Johnson from Vizier. Hey, Zach, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And as always, we have Dwight Brown from Turetsky Consulting, now salary.com. Great to be here. Awesome. So, Zach, why don't you give us a little bit about your background, what you do for Vizier, and we have one question for you that you're going to love. Awesome. Something that no one knows about you. But first, tell us about yourself, and then tell us one thing that no one knows about Zach Johnson. Yeah, sure thing. So, well, first, my name is Zach Johnson. We established that part, but I've been working in people analytics now for about 14 years. Wow. Which, knowing today's topic, I think we'll have some fun because the world of people analytics has changed a lot. And first, I started as a founder CEO, did that for about eight years. And then um, I wound up joining the Vizier team about five years ago to found their embedded analytics business. Cool. So I've been growing that now for a bit. And it's um, exciting just bringing companies, people analytics at scale. That's great. So tell us one thing that no one knows about you. That nobody knows about me? No one. Like no one anywhere. Anybody who may be listening to this podcast. I think my favorite color is pink. That's great. I really like pink. I think it's really cool. It's a really cool color. That's awesome. Yeah. In fact, that's the first time anybody's told us their color. We've heard of uh, their astrology signs and like adventure that they've taken. That's really awesome. Thanks, man. So the topic that we talked about before is people analytics yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and kind of understanding where it had been. And you've got a lot of background since you've been doing it for 14 years. And then what is what are you seeing today, especially as part of Vizier, with you know what you hear from not only the embedded clients or the clients where you're helping them embed, but also other clients at, at Vizier. And then what do you think about the future of analytics? So let's start with, what have you seen in the past? Where was people analytics? So what's, what's crazy is it used to be in like coffee shops and like breweries and it was like nerdy PhD students. Like that's totally where it was. Right. And that's kind of where I got my start in it anyways. But like, it was really people who were asking, why don't we do this questions? And would this be cool type questions? Right. So like, huh, like why don't we know what makes one team more successful than another? Or why don't we know what, makes one individual advance faster or things like that. And, and so once upon a time, it was very much always about asking a question. And then it was about finding a sponsor for that question. So right. someone at an organization who had enough discretionary budget to say, that's a really good question. Right. Let's go figure it out. Right. And so you, you think of it as like people were building a lot of Formula One cars back in the day, right? Super over fancy. and over again. <laughs> yep. Super fancy, super high tech. But like the moment the limited application it was applied to was over. It's like, this thing's utterly useless. Yeah. And so I think there was so much rework for like 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Right. Cause some of the earliest, coolest people in like stuff was like, you know, Raytheon in the early nineties and stuff like that. But 
I think there's been a transition to productization scale because scale is the only, it's like, you can't just go to the gym once. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I wish we could. I know me yes, too. Me too. too. Yeah. Deeply. Yeah. Especially with the ice cream dancers at the HR technology conference. But yeah, so it's changed, it's changed quite a bit, but it was very much, I'd say data science driven versus BI driven. Big difference between the two. Very much came out of academia. And so there's some, still some luminaries in the space who like are, are major influencers, but who've been doing this for a really long time coming, by, coming out of academia. Sure. And then it was very much sponsored by the most experimental progressive organizations. One of the fun things that for when I was a practitioner, and I'm, I'm a comp practitioner from old, was that we asked HRIS to do a lot of it for us, but it wasn't analytics. It was yeah. purely reporting. And I think a lot of times it had gotten confused where... They were they were kind of crossing the line, or we were kind of crossing the line. It wasn't really analytics, but there were analytics there. There was insights that were being generated. But to your point, they were small. They were point solutions. They only lasted for a little bit, and they were not productized. Totally. And so we kept experimenting and failing and succeeding, but we never learned from it. We just kept doing it over and over again and expecting... I don't even know what we were expecting. I think we were just expecting the job done and do it again at some point in the future. And I, and I guess the question is, lessons learned from the past. Did we do anything right? Did we do anything wrong? And what lessons did we learn from the past? Oh, man, that's an awesome question. I think the people building the space learned how to sell. That's actually really important, right? And it's something where technologists sometimes look down on sales, but like whether you're recruiting someone to work with you or raising capital or getting someone to pay for the thing, you got to get people to believe and see. And so I watched a lot of people who now are majorly successful and influential in the space have to grind it out for 10 years to get people to become believers. And that, that's how a market because You have to build a market. Yeah. And so I think that's a big one. I think people really learned how to describe the value, how to set expectations and manage promises, how to dot I's and cross T's because there was no governance in 2008. There, there was no GDPR. Like, yeah, it was kind of the wild west. It was totally yeah, the wild weird. west. Yeah. And I remember like, just some of the things I saw companies do were crazy. And selling is, there's evangelism, there's selling. But selling is very much about like connecting people with value and helping them make a really good decision. Right. Yeah. And I, I think if we had all the tech we have now, we brought it back 10 years ago, it'd go nowhere. Just because it's not a technology problem, it's a belief problem. And I think there's... It's a really important lesson for building any market. I, I love what you were talking about. I totally agree. I think some of the times the best people, the best thought leaders, the best um, could have been influencers had no skills to sell what they were doing. They created these, and, and, and I worry about this with data scientists too, whereas they're so brilliant at doing what they do that their skills don't extend beyond the project. They can't articulate. They can't get those leaders who need to sign off on the funding to be able to understand fundamentals. Like as a consultant, one of my jobs and one of the key skills that I grew from Towers Parent back in 1989 was being able to translate whatever the statistical analysis I was doing to people. Yep. Hundred percent. This is the, yeah. It's the whole challenge. And going in front of a CEO, you have to have skills not just to be able to sell it to them, but to relate it to the business problems they're trying to solve. Totally. And so, Zach, I totally agree with you. I also think that, and, in, and for the, all those HR people who are listening, it doesn't mean you have to take a class in sales. 
what it means is you have to be able to take a class, if you can, in communications and or writing. Being able to find the audience and to be able to sell to the audience, you need to be able to translate what you're doing. And, and, and I don't know if you know data scientists. I've known a lot of data scientists, yeah. and they have a lot of problems being able to communicate the brilliance in their mind, not just on paper, but, but to other people. Totally, totally. I mean, it's just storytelling, right? It's just about connecting. And one of, so a pro tip for anyone in the audience that's really helped me as you just bring people along in your journey is every big story needs a big idea. Good versus evil, whatever, right? Yeah. Then you need parables, you need examples. Because at the end of the day, people analytics, there's some, we'll talk about it with the future, there's some huge ideas there. But how does a meeting look different if you have this capability? How does a decision look different? That's the thing, because then you, people emotionally connect with the, yes. big, with the big part. But that's... In technology, sometimes we're lacking for artists. And sometimes you need to have a couple artists around to help you figure that out. I, I love that. To me, it's you know the scientific method, right? create a hypothesis, you gather facts, you experiment a little bit, and then you prove your theory or not, turn it into a story. You know, um, it doesn't have to be once upon a time, although you could. Yeah, right. But, but it's about a creative writing exercise where you take that and you find a way to be able to translate that. That's awesome. Totally. So let's trans let's let's go from the past to today and the things you're seeing about the way in which people are being able to either use it or not use people analytics in their businesses today. So it's such a different world. Like the scope and like if you think about like the curve of who has people analytics used to be like you know 50 companies and now like I know with us we have thousands just with this year. And I think one of the things that's really important is analytics is like this huge catch-all word. Yeah. Right. There's like, like one of my favorite things to show people is I have the slide where it's like, here's a grid with all the things that are in it. Like you have natural language generation, you have natural language processing, you have sentiment analysis, you have applied social network analysis. Any one of those could be a full market, let alone a company. And so part of it's like, I think there's, I'll, I'll share the ones that are most exciting to me. The first is you're, I'm seeing enough companies investing in the business intelligence infrastructure to support the cool data science. Most vendors here who talk about people analytics, they're really talking about data science, like a really cool application of an algorithm or like a point kind of module. But it's the boring stuff. Like who's supposed to see what data and how do you derive that from an organizational hierarchy? Like that's not sexy. It doesn't sound like you can charge a lot of money for it, but it's maddening. You can't do all the cool stuff that five years from now you're going to need to compete if you don't make those fundamental investments. So that's a huge, I'm seeing thousands of companies do that, not tens or, or hundreds. That's huge. The second one is I'm seeing the delightful small application start to take off a bit. So I'll give you an example. I was the CEO of a company with like you know, I don't know, 10 to 20 people at any given time, right? If I gave someone a raise, like we didn't have like a formal HR review. Right. Like if you want to check, when did you give somebody a raise? What would you have to do? You got to go look at the ADP pay stubs. Right. And you're like, when did it go up? Wait a second. Was that a tax thing or was that because we're listening? So, so one of the things we have in our product is uh, employee history. It's actually my favorite yeah, thing in the whole yeah. product. We just show all the attributes and when they changed. Right. In one button click, it takes like six hours of being on the phone with like an ADP right, to right. figure it out. And like what we find is, so for big companies, you have the big workforce planning use cases and our big diversity targets and stuff like that. But we got like coffee, coffee shops and churches and like all sorts of stuff now through our embedded business. And like, 
if you save someone an hour or two in a small business it's environment, yeah, yeah. And, and like, it doesn't need to be a product that can be a feature. And so it's exciting to me because to me, people analytics isn't the buzzwordy products. It's like, it's like if you're on Instagram, right. And you see how many followers someone has, you know, whether they're mega famous, kind of famous or like a normal person, right. That's not analytics. You don't think of it as analytics, but you're drawing a conclusion about the world around you. That's directional from data. That's where it's gone. Well, and to that end, you know, using the Instagram example, it's embedded in such a way into the experience that the person's looking at, that they understand it very clearly. And people analytics has overcomplicated it. And and in all deference to my friends like David Green and and other people, I love that they're talking about the, the bigger stuff, the future stuff and trying to solve bigger problems. To me, in Tourette's Consulting and, and what we've been working on are micro or are smaller issues uh, like data and data quality and totally. job architecture and other things, which if those aren't fundamentally aligned with the people analytics from the beginning, then can't do it. all of the data that you're looking at is incorrect anyways, and you can't draw any conclusions, or if you do, you're drawing conclusions that are wrong. And so what I like to do when I start talking about today and people analytics is, when people start at People Analytics, what I hope is, and this is no plug for Tretsky Consulting, but but what I hope is the first thing they do is a data audit, an audit of all their processes that generate data, but also a, pro- a process where they look at the data that fundamentally will underlie everything so that they have a good foundation. Um, and then they can start to draw those conclusions. Absolutely. That's, that's the amazing thing is that there's all this technology out there and so much of it reports to bringing all the data together, having these wonderful insights, but people do forget that piece of things, the data governance side of things, right? where, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And no matter whether it's today or in the future or whatnot, until companies go through that exercise and start to put those rules in place and, and get a grasp on that, it's not going to, it's not going to do them the good that they want to be able to do we, we, we um, pulled off some, so we're, sometimes we're, we're, we don't talk enough about some of the things we've done that are unique. Pretty much all of our customers are on the same data model. So we've yeah. set up a normalized system, which like, yeah, the, everyone thinks it's cool because of the benchmark piece. But you start to establish norms on like, what does something mean? And I know from my experience with people, and I'm sure you have the same thing with all, all the work you've done. It's intuition plus the data that helps, that makes magic, right? Sure. It's being right. able to explain it. And there's no better way to clean data than to look at it in an analytical model and say, that person doesn't work here anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those holes. And- yeah, but the problem is, hopefully, you haven't rolled it out yet. <laughs> no, no, it, I mean, absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely. We, you know, one of the fun things that we do when we work with clients is we show them data in the pre-state. We show them yeah. the analytics in the pre-state, and they look at it and they go, oh my goodness, where did this stuff come from? And it's the stuff that they're actually running their payroll and their HR and their benefits and all that other stuff on. And the things that we use to show them, they're all standardized metrics anyways. And the worst part about it is, is that they don't, they haven't looked at these underlying fundamental data issues like the job table yeah. in order to be able to correct those things because they don't need to. It doesn't drive payroll. It doesn't drive benefits. It doesn't drive other things. But what it does drive is a complete misunderstanding with the client, with the employee, with the manager, 
and the career pathing. We've had lots of conversations over the last few days with people talking about modern data architectures that start with a career framework. Totally. Which, you know, people analytics could utilize a career framework, but it's not really necessary unless the job table's not right. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So, so Zach, what's the future of people analytics? Do I have permission to share some really, really scary big ideas? Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about really scary big ideas with Zach Jones. Awesome. So, so I actually think people analytics is going to be top three single biggest society changing things in the 21st century. I'll tell you the reason why I got into people analytics. I remember I was like 18, 19 years old and I was working in a applied team science lab doing like crazy social network analysis stuff. And some of the biggest CPG companies on the planet would come to the lab and they'd be like, we're not sure why one team succeeds or fails. Like, can you help us? And I remember sitting there and like, I was like, I didn't have enough money to like feed myself. I weighed like 50 pounds less than I do right now. I was a stick. And I was sitting there. I'm like, wait a second. You're telling me you spend like 200,000 a pop on these people and you don't measure how they work together. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And like, once you see that, you can't unsee it, which is like, like just with like Facebook and Google alone, you have like, what, $3 trillion of value on understanding the consumer. But think about how much money spent on the employee and every problem is solved by people working together. And so it is going to be a gold rush way bigger than HR to basically change how people work together and manage people. Are you talking about assessments, like how does a one person's culture fit in with the group, or are you talking about something different? So I'm talking about every aspect of work being assisted and nudged and pushed based on inputs that happen behind the scenes to give you to, to, to So think, think like, I'll talk to you about my work week 15 years from now. When I wake up, I want to get a note that tells me I have the busiest week of the entire year by 30%. I should probably cut some meetings because those weeks don't go so well. And by the way, my team's mostly meeting with people internally and really we're behind on our numbers. And so external is pretty important. Oh, and also those emails I've been writing, you know, they don't really sound like how other VPs write their emails. So it's just a reminder that like, I should just double check stuff. Like all those little, like none of it requires me to go do a big analytics project or seek stuff out. But if you think about it, so employees are going to have a world where they're not going to rely on someone looking like them to hopefully coach them on how to do their jobs. They're going to be, there's going to be scaffolding. Managers are going to be able to actually understand like various attributes, like aspects of their team that right now are all intuitive. Executives are going to be able to simulate, huh, if I double the size of my sales force in all of history, how often has that actually led to the growth rate that I just told my board I'm going to do. And then investors are going to be able to say, wow, we're actually going to invest in human capital metrics that are leading indicators because people are the ones who executed. But a lot of those things you're talking about, they're partially there right now. Exactly. And they're frustratingly not there right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the thing you just mentioned about the investors, investors have a really cool process they go through to be able to make those determinations as yeah. to which which industries they bet on, which companies they bet on. Yeah. They do a lot of manual due diligence, really frustratingly manual due diligence. Totally. But those tools are actually there. They don't work together, first of all. Yeah. They don't fit together. And even when you try using some technologies that try to fit together, they're so frustratingly not there. Why? Well, so look at, uh, look at like, like p- people have been marketing to consumers for like 150 years, right? took a really long time before you had targeted advertising that followed you around the internet based on your psychometrics. Like 
it's, it's the same way that like took seven years to get to the Sopranos. And so we're really warming up. I think it's easy to imagine the applications, but there's three layers of market that are required. This is where I think people get tripped up sometimes at people analytics. Because first, people analytics is the macro. HR analytics is a subset. Mm-hmm. And so all the operational data, everything else is actually where most of the data will be. But if you think about it like a bridge with a keystone, who are you? Who do you work for? How much you're paid? That's like the missing piece that everyone else doesn't have. So it gives HR a lot of power. Mm-hmm. The, the piece of that I think is really interesting is the same way like the consumer web isn't a market, it's an economy. To bring to life and have that stuff work the way it does it today requires an economy. It's basically three levels in that economy and how I visualize it. The first is infrastructure. So all the stuff we're talking about, about job architectures, data governance, and how do you deal with sovereignty in different jurisdictions? How do you bring it together? Cleaning data. Like that is a massive multi-billion dollar market. Just like just getting the infrastructure together. Sure. Then you have the next layer, which is what I would call content and applications. So it's all the different solutions that can be powered by that data and all that stuff. So like there are compensation solutions, there are recruiting solutions, there are team management solutions, there are how do you make the development team work solutions, all those. The last one, though, I think is the one that I'm most unsure of how it's going to play out. And that, that layer is medium. And what I mean by that is like through what mechanism whether it's a screen or what is really the future of management happening on. Like, cause if you think about work, there's really a few mediums. There's email zoom. Now I'd argue is one of the most important mediums in work. There's calendar, right? So does people analytics get woven into every medium, which in some case it will, or does a new one arise? I don't know. Well, even if you look at Microsoft, they've tried Absolutely. and failed to actually get a lot of those analytics embedded inside of out. There was, there were, they were trying to do like Cortana, had an email come out every day about metrics, about your day. And in fact, very similar to Zach, what you were talking about before of, hey, you know, you have scheduled time here and here and here. You might want to block off some time. And they've, they've kind of gone away from that. They're actually coming out with something new where they've done research and they said, we're going to create just a full stack application on that. One of the funny things, though, I think you just said, when you talk about those three, those three uh, kind of horizontals, not verticals, the middle that you talked about was very verticalized and very siloed. And that, that's the thing that disappoints the crap out of me, is if you go down and you talk to ADP or Ceridian or Workday, they're, what they're trying to do is create a full HCM stack that has all those things and tries to interweave them, but they are still verticalized. Yeah. And even when you talk about the verticalized, the teams need to stop the vertical, pardon this expression, bullshit. They need to start working more together. Because even if we take the microcosm of recruiting and compensation, if they're not working together, they're working against each other. Because recruiting is creating a market that compensation doesn't want. They may be using some of the pieces from comp, but comp is being very insular about it. Why is it that we haven't gotten to the stage, not just today, but in the future, in what the future that you're outlining? Why can't we break down those verticals and actually work more like teams like you talked about before? One well, of my favorite pieces of advice is you overestimate what you can do in one year, you underestimate what you do in 10. So I, I think that some of that will naturally, I use the parallels of the consumer space because a lot of other markets and things have gone through digitization and massive infrastructure mm-hmm. investment, stuff like that. Like you can do pretty much everything through Facebook or WeChat. Like, so I think like those types of trends will persist, persist and you'll see that in the workplace. The biggest barrier though is not technology. The biggest barrier is buying behavior. And so as long as there's no chief breaking down silos and teams working together, officer, 
you're stuck with whoever has the most pressing problem and discretionary budget forging the way and or you wait for a department to feel to go through an entire hype cycle and an entire maturity curve on purchasing. And so like, it's one of the reasons why, you know, there are so many exciting small companies here is like, it starts with a really focused vision on a focused problem, understanding that customer. And like, it's really hard for one company to understand 20 different types of customers shouldn't do that well. But I think it's actually a go-to-market problem, not a tech problem. You, you could make the tech where it all works. Oh, sure. We could create APIs that could do it. The problem is that silos exist on the demand side. Yeah, totally. So that's a way better way of describing that, by the way. So thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. That was all good. <laughs> thank you. So we're going to have to end now, but thank you so much for joining the HR Data Labs podcast. We really appreciate it. I would love to invite you back. Obviously, we could talk forever. Thank you, Dwight, as always. Great being on. And thank you for listening. We appreciate you joining. Um, and if you like this episode, please subscribe. And if you know somebody who would like it, please send it their way. Thank you, Zach Johnson from Vizier. Appreciate it. And uh, we will see you soon. Take care and stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.